What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Also, today's episode is the latest installment of the Lockdown Blazers Countdown to Training Camp. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Blazers this season. We'll look at how they performed last season, we'll talk about best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming season, and we'll finish the episode with a discussion of expectations and likely role. This is our ninth installment of the Countdown to Training Camp, so if you missed any of them, check your podcast feed and start catching up. Today, we're going on a Zach Collins deep dive. So let's start with reviewing z Easy's 2018-19 season. Year two with the Blazers, Zach Collins averaged 6.6 points on 47% shooting and 33% from deep. He added 4.2 rebounds, playing 17.6 minutes a night in 77 games, all of them off the bench. Early on in the season, right away, Zach Collins looked like the game-changing top 10 pick that the Blazers seemed to view him as. He was a defensive force who provided efficient fill-in-the-gaps offense on the other end. And it started right away, like right, 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 right away. In the season opener against the Lakers, he blocked six shots and grabbed six rebounds in 26 minutes. Here he was, a star in the making. Over the first 12 games of the season, Zach Collins averaged 10.6 points off the bench. He shot 57% from the floor. Also in that same 12-game stretch, he was was grabbing 4.3 rebounds a game, blocking 1.3 shots a night, playing about 20 minutes, 22 minutes off the bench. That was through the first week of November, basically the first three weeks of the regular season. Collins looked absolutely great, undeniably good, and looked like a big part of the Blazers' plans. We kind of anticipated after year one that year two, he was going to be dialed in for a bigger role. And he he did have a larger role, undeniably, but... Through that first three weeks, it was like, okay, it's all coming together for him. The thing was, he couldn't sustain that level of production. Over the final 65 games, basically after those three weeks, over the final seven months of the season, his production slipped a bunch. He averaged 5.9 points on 45% shooting and 31% from three, 4.2 rebounds, about that same number, and less than a block a game. And his playing time slipped accordingly from about 22 minutes to just shy of 17. There's a lot of factors here, and we'll get into them. But just as long as we're doing the overview, let me give you some more overview stuff before we move into the specifics. He played 20 minutes in 26 of his 77 appearances, and Collins never scored more than 18 points in any game. He hit double digits 19 times. He was good, but... Never quite as good as that first 12 games, his first three weeks, when he probably was playing a little bit over his head. And the Blazers clearly felt they needed more from the backup center spot. They signed Dennis Cantor on February 13th, and after the All-Star break, when the Blazers had their two centers with Ennis Cantor and Yusuf Nurkic, they needed less from second-year big man Zach Collins. When Cantor and Nurk were healthy, Collins played less than 14 minutes a night, and he picked up his first DNPs of the season, uh did not play, if you're not familiar with the acronym. He set out five of the 15 games when both Nurk and Cantor were available. He was the guy who they left left behind. It was clear uh, 
the signing wasn't official, but it was reported the game before the All-Star break. And Zach actually had a really nice game, and the Blazers handled the Golden State Warriors um, in Portland. You'll recall Zach Collins in that game kind of getting into a beef with... Uh, with Clay Thompson, there was it was the full experience. You know, he had some rebounds, some block shots, and he you know swore at someone on national TV. But the Blazers, the Blazers clearly had decided they wanted more to bolster that front line, and they went with they went with Cantor, and 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 it meant that Myers Leonard wasn't going to play unless they was a break the glass emergency scenario, and that Zach Collins was going to see a huge reduction in his minutes, and it naturally happened. He just played a lot less from, you know, 17 minutes a game down to 14 minutes a game. And that includes some, you know, like I said, those five DMPs, nights where he just wasn't part of the plan. But Yusuf Nurkic got hurt in late March and Zach Collins sort of reappeared as someone the Blazers needed. But in the playoffs, he kind of had those same up and down moments that we saw during the regular season. He had... 14, four boards and five blocks in a hugely important game six against the Denver Nuggets that earned him a uh, podium game in the postseason. And he followed that with seven points, five boards and four blocks in game seven to send the Blazers into the Western Conference Finals. But he also had a relatively quiet start to the playoffs and didn't really start getting major minutes until he uh, he kind of showed himself to be the best matchup against the uh, Nuggets front line. The story of his playoffs is, in a lot of ways, the story of his season. Uh, in matchups, certain situations, he got big minutes and became part of the big plan, but there were nights when he wasn't part of the plan. And his production wasn't always consistent enough to demand that he get there. Overall, Collins was a much better offensive player in year two than he was in his rookie season. But his foul issues remain glaring, and you can't talk about Collins without talking about whistles, the referees, and fouls. He fouled at exactly the same rate in year two as he did in his first season. It's about 4.3 fouls per 36 minutes. He fouled out of four games. He had five fouls and four others. And it's mostly with Collins, it's the stupid fouls. He can get away with being aggressive. They want, the Blazers want him to be aggressive and need him to be aggressive. And for instance, he fouled less than... Yusuf Nurkic on a per 36-minute basis. He wasn't as fouly as even the Blazers' starting center. But he had more stupid fouls and more games where he would pick up fouls in a hurry, two or three dumb ones, and take himself out of the rotation than guys who foul more and kind of use their four and five fouls in spots. Overall, he probably showed some important growth in year two, and also some signs of being a 21-year-old that could use a little more seasoning. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. Year three, what's the best case and worst case scenario for the Blazers' big man? Before we get there, though, I want to tell you guys about Peloton. If you can't find a workout that keeps you engaged... Peloton is for you. It is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. So here's the deal for you. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use the promo code LOCKED. That's L-O-C-K-E-D to get started. Okay, so we talked Zach Collins' 2018-19 year in review. 
Now we're looking ahead into the 2019-2020 season, and we're talking best-case, worst-case scenarios. And before we get started here, I want to offer the caveat that I do at the beginning. I've done it at the beginning of all these segments for all these player previews. These best-case scenarios are within reason, and these worst-case scenarios are without injuries. We're only talking MVPs if the guy has a chance, realistically, to win MVP, and we're not talking injuries because we're talking worst-case scenario on-court production-wise. So... What's the best case scenario for Zach Collins? It's that he's ready to play 30 minutes a night as a starting power forward on a playoff team. Simple as that. Last season, Zach Collins never really got his chance to show if he could be part of the Blazers' core at power forward. He played just 65 as nearly 1,200 minutes next to Yusuf Nurkic. So that means 95% of Zach Collins' minutes came when Yusuf Nurkic was out of the game. Maybe I wrongly assumed that the Blazers would try the Collins-Nurkic pairing out a bunch more last season, but they not only didn't try it very much, they basically never tried it. 65 minutes throughout the season is basically just a mistake. You know, a, a couple games where you absolutely have to because of injuries and fouls, but never part of the plan. So the best case for Collins in 2019-20, of course, without Nurkic, but he's ready to step into the role that the Blazers mostly kept, kept him away from last season, and that's Starting power forward, playing next to a real center a bunch. The best case for Collins is also that he continues to steadily improve on offense as a capable inside-outside threat, and his his three-point shooting creeps up towards league average, and he continues to improve as a finisher and out of the post. He goes better on offense in year two. The best case scenario is that that trend continues in year three. The best case for Collins also means that he can stay on the floor, avoid foul trouble, and grow into an even better inside-outside defender. He's a really good shot blocker with great defensive instincts, the type of things that are hard to teach. But as a power forward, he's going to be asked to do more stuff on defense. That's chase guys around on the perimeter, that's switch pick and rolls. It's probably guarding a lot less in the post and acting as that help defender on a big and more of being a all over the court defensive force. And the best case scenario is that Zach Collins, with all his skills around the rim, is ready to expand that defensive game. Simply put, the best case scenario for Zach Collins is that the Blazers are right. And he's ready for a big role they've carved out for him by letting the other forward options walk and adding very few other bigs that could realistically eat into a starting role. The best case scenario is that what the Blazers view as Collins' role plays out. He's your starting power forward, and he's ready to ride from day one. The worst-case scenario is that Collins stagnates. His foul issues stick around, his outside shooting remains shaky, and he just isn't ready to play power forward for 30-some-odd minutes a night for a team that wants to get home court advantage in the playoffs. The worst case means that he's just more of a center than he is a power forward, and asking him to chase around those fours on the perimeter for big chunks of time takes away from his rim-protecting prowess and neutralizes his most obvious gifts. The worst case means that Collins, who's notoriously hard on himself and as fiery as they come, gets down on himself when his role and his skill set don't align. And that mental challenge takes away from his game even more. As long as we're keeping it simple, the worst case for Zach Collins is that the Blazers are wrong. 
Collins isn't ready for the specific role they seem to have designed for him, and the franchise is left turning to the likes of Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver, and then eventually the trade market to make up for its power forward hole. Now we've reached what I have affectionately called Caveat Corner. It's where I give caveats for the best case and worst case scenarios. Look, almost everyone on the roster is likely to fall somewhere between the two poles. Is Collins likely to be a high-level starting power forward right away, right out of the gate? No, he's not likely to hit on that pole of best-case scenario. He's also not likely to be a truly terrible fit. That's why it's best and worse. We're talking about the poles here. He's likely to fall somewhere in the middle. And that's okay. The Blazers have a lot riding on Collins. Maybe more than anyone else on the roster, they're counting on him to break out. In the way that they've also cleared the decks for Anthony Simons to play, they kind of hedged against it because Simons is behind you know, two very good players, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, on the depth chart. They also added Kent Bazemore there, and Rodney Hood can play a little bit of two if they really need to in bigger lineups. They tried it last year. They've got hedges against Simons not being ready. The Blazers don't really have the hedges for Collins. Tolliver's 34 years old and just not someone who can play 30 minutes a night on a team that has expectations like this. There's not many other guys who are power forward, capital P, on the roster. Mario Hazonia could probably play a little bit of four. Rodney Hood, again, could probably slide up and play some small ball four. But the Blazers have carved it out so Collins plays. And I'll talk about more that specifically in the third segment. But as it relates to best case and worst case scenarios, I think he has a little bit of leeway to make his way from early stages of this season should he be trending towards worst case and build himself up towards the best case scenario. Now, I didn't say... And maybe I should have gone harder on this, that the best case for Zach Collins is that he's an all-NBA defensive type player. It's because I don't believe that. I don't believe the best case for Zach Collins in year three is that he's one of the six best defensive bigs in the NBA. Now, maybe you'll push back against that and say that the best case scenario is really that he's, he's that level. And sure, Reasonable minds can disagree. But for me, his best case tends more towards him being a serviceable player, and his worst case tends more towards him just not being being a lot like we saw last year. Not quite ready for a big role. Clearly, enough deficiencies to not be ready for that big role. So that's why I say he's likely to land in the middle. Now, maybe I should have pushed the middle a bit by pushing the uh, best case scenario a little further, but I didn't. Because I'm mostly a pessimist, or maybe a realist, depending on uh, your choice of words. And speaking of realists and realistic role, that's what I want to talk about in segment number three. What is it actually going to look like for Zach Collins? I've kind of hinted at it here, but I want to be specific on what it's going to look like for Zach Collins in his third year with the Blazers. So that's what we're going to do in the third segment. Stick with me. All right, so we talked... Year two, Zach Collins, 2018-19 season. We did best case, worst case scenarios. Now it's time to talk about realistic expectations. 
What is Zach Collins going to do? What do I expect him to do on the court for the Blazers? And my realistic expectations is that he starts at power forward from day one. And it should be noted that day one is an important marker for Collins because he suffered a pretty serious ankle injury on July 15th. So saying day one holds maybe even more importance for him than others, considering that he's only been cleared to play, you know, full contact basketball since the third week of August. Shout out to Jason Quick of The Athletic for that reporting. But role-wise, from day one, is that Collins is the power forward. As I've mentioned, the Blazers kind of built a roster that says either Zach Collins is a power forward or that is our starting power forward or that player isn't on the roster right now and we'll have to go get him at some other point. So it's it would be unrealistic to think that he's that he's even competing really for that spot in camp. That spot is his. And the only way he could lose it is really via the trade market, really via the Blazers going out to either sign someone and fill a 15th roster spot or making a trade to fill in behind him as they did for Ennis Cantor last year, with Ennis Cantor last year. So I expect him to be the starting power forward and spend the majority of his time playing with the starting group. Uh, Traditionally, over the past three seasons, Terry Stotts has paired the four and five together. You can go back and look at the number splits. I don't have a detail for you, but let me just uh, speak broadly. He's mostly played Alfred Camino and Yusuf Nurkic together, Zach Collins and Myers Leonard together, Zach Collins and Ed Davis together. Previously, prior to that, Ed Davis and Myers Leonard together. It's usually the starting four or five and then some duo behind them. And not a lot of mixing and matching. As I pointed out, Collins only played 5% of his minutes next to Nurkic. It was something the Blazers avoided and something the Blazers just rotationally didn't do. So my expectations is that Collins plays the majority of his minutes, like 80 plus percent of his minutes, next to Hassan Whiteside. And that's the fit we have to consider going into the season. It is not what Collins brings to the table, but what Collins brings to the table in the context of playing off of Hassan Whiteside. That said, I also expect that on some nights, Collins closes the game at center. Um, when other team goes small or certain matchups give the bigger, slower white side trouble, the Blazers probably will have to close the final five minutes of the game with Collins and a smaller front line. Collins said he wants to be a center at his ex-interviews. The Blazers have carved out a role for him to play power forward. But the way it works with Pau Gasol at age 39 as the backup, Scalabissier and Hassan Whiteside there, it's, you know, Scal could play a little bit 4-5, but I don't think he's ready to be a, spoiler alert, I haven't done Scal yet, but spoiler alert, I don't think Scal's really ready to uh, to be a big-time contributor on a playoff team. Collins is a power forward in function and in name, but I do think there's some nights when he slides back to that spot that he prefers to play at center because the league just doesn't have a lot of true fives and there's going to be some nights where Collins' defensive versatility and maybe a little bit of his outside shooting is necessary. So while he's going to play a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of minutes at power forward, don't rule out the fact that he might get a handful of important minutes, closing time minutes as a center. Expectations statistically, it's hard for me to put a fine point on any stats in these 
this prediction segment. If you've listened to these player previews, you know that I'm not saying like, I think he'll average 18.5 points. But I will say this. I expect Collins averages career highs across the board in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, just by virtue of playing way more minutes than he has in the past. He's going to have a career year just by volume. And I think that's that's really the point for Collins, is that does he have a career year just by volume, or does he have a career year because he's ready? The Blazers are, like I mentioned, banking on him to have a breakout season. So while I don't have any statistical expectations, the Blazers certainly do. They think he'll foul less, make threes more, and continue to sharpen everything else in year three. I'm not placing... Personally, I'm not placing as heavy expectations on Zach Collins as the franchise is. And maybe as the fan base is, too. In a lot of ways, the Blazers' season will always hinge on what Dame and CJ do. If they're excellent, the team will be excellent. But after reshaping this roster, there's more and more role players. And I've mentioned this in a couple other previews. There's more and more role players that are kind of have a a lot of pressure to step up into a larger role. Rodney Hood, obviously. Anthony Simons, certainly. And Zach Collins, chief among them. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch this season is that the Blazers have kind of crafted a roster that they say these players' skill sets fit better around our two stars. Are they right on that bet? And how right are they? If they nail it, this team is a... 55-win team. If they don't, they're a 45-win team. And that margin is the difference in maybe being 10th and 3rd in the West. I think Collins has a huge role in the difference between them chasing their championship-level dreams, getting back to the Western Conference Finals, or being a team that scrapes into the playoffs. It'll be really fun to watch. He's one of the most interesting members of the whole roster. Uh, And he's a guy who has kind of been waiting for his role for a long time. He didn't start right away in high school, having to wait behind two Division I type players in front of him. He didn't start in his lone year at Gonzaga. He He didn't start a single game last year. Started one game as a rookie. So this is it for Zach. This is kind of the year he's been waiting for. And... My expectations are are less specific, but the Blazers are certainly expecting him to be ready to go and to be a starting NBA power forward. We'll see how it shakes out. That's all I got on Zach. I don't know if we're calling him Zico or Z-E-Z. I prefer Z-E-Z to Zico. He's certainly not Zebo. That's someone else who wore a Blazers uniform. But I really appreciate you guys listening. I would also appreciate if you tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. That's how this uh, podcast grows. You tell one friend, they tell one friend, and the listenership grows. I want to keep doing this, so help me keep growing the audience. Tell your friends. They can find this podcast wherever they already get them. That's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. We got more player profiles coming later this week. Talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.